Well, welcome back, brethren, to our Bible study. I was about to say Wednesday night. Appreciate your flexibility. I'm sorry that we were not able to have the Bible study on Wednesday. Uh, we're tent makers and uh, just somehow could not make the, uh, the evening work. Apologize for the inconvenience, but glad that we can be together. And thank you for making the time on uh, Thursday evening. Lot to cover today in Isaiah chapter 41. Let's open with a word of prayer. Ask God's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for you. We thank you for your character. We thank you, God, for your truthfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you, God, that we can have faith and confidence that when you speak, you mean what you say and you will do what you say. And so, Father, we thank you and pray that you'll give us deeper conviction and, and deeper faith as we study your word. We thank you for your living word. We ask for your blessing in our study now. We ask this in Jesus' most holy name. So a lot to cover, brethren. I want to get right into the study. Uh, so let's begin in Isaiah chapter 41. Actually, I, I don't want to start right with Isaiah 41. I want to uh, give a little bit of backstory first. So as we begin, I want us to begin in the Torah. So let's begin with Deuteronomy, just so that we have the backstory. Because Isaiah, as we mentioned before, Isaiah is like a mini Bible. So it covers the Old and the New Testament. And so in order for us to ensure that we have the storyline, let's pick it up from Deuteronomy and use that understanding of the storyline from the Torah to guide our understanding as we delve into Isaiah chapter 41. So here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, he says here, verse 8, Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day. So God is speaking to his people Israel. And he's telling them that they must keep his commandments, that you may be strong. So this is the agreement that God has with his people. Keep my commandments so that you can be strong. And notice this, and go in and possess the land. If, if we lose the plot here, then we're going to read the Bible and just make it nice sounding phrases. And isn't it nice to know the Lord? But if we stay with the story, then when we're in Isaiah, Isaiah is going to cover the whole span of the Bible we'll be able to understand what it is he's saying to us. So the agreement here is keep the commandments that you may be strong and go in and possess the land where you go to possess it. And you may prolong your days in the land. And I'm highlighting the land because I want you to get the sense that God is serious, that this covenant is not just God and his people. It's God and his people dwelling in a specific plot of real estate that he has promised them this land and he wants them to dwell in this land. Of all the places of the earth, there's a place, there's real estate that God has his eye on. And so he wants them to prolong his will, his, his, his uh, wish for them, his desire for them, is that they prolong their days in the land. But they have to do their part, which the Lord swore unto your father. So it's not just any land, it's not just the earth in general. We have to know what is this plot of land that God swore to the fathers because that's the land that he wants his people to dwell in to give unto them and to their seed a land which flows with milk and honey so this is the key now you've, you've got to this is this is what God wants to do he it's not that he wants to do it he has sworn that he will do this for the land where you go to possess in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. So he's bringing them out of Egypt and he's going to take, he's giving them this land and he's telling them, look, the land that I'm giving to you 
it's very different from the land that you're coming from, from where you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. So, you know, these ancient cities were built by rivers and Egypt became this powerful, powerful civilization, civilization because it was right on the Nile River. And so irrigation was critical. They developed very um, sophisticated ways of getting the, the water from the river into the land. And so obviously there's some walking involved here as they work with the irrigation system. And God is saying, you know what? The land that I'm taking you into, it's not like that. It's very, very different. But the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills. It says hills. The actual word here, harim in uh, uh, Hebrew, is mountains. And that's important. It's a land of mountains and valleys. And it drinks water of the rain of heaven. So you don't need to have these sophisticated irrigation systems to bring water from the Nile River. God is saying he sends the rain. You don't have to walk with your feet to try to irrigate the land. It's just God will, God will look after this land for you. It drinks water from the rain of heaven. It's a land. Now notice this is a very important verse. Verse 12. This plot of land, it is a land which the Lord your God cares for. So God himself personally is, is concerned with this plot of land. And he personally, the God of the universe personally, looks after this land. Because this is the land that he swore to give to the fathers and, and their seed. A land which the Lord your God himself personally cares for. Notice this, the eyes of the Lord, your God, are always upon it. This land matters to God. He cares for it personally, and his eyes are always on it, which is why Satan is doing so much to destroy this land, because he knows what God's will is. The, God, the, the eyes of the Lord, your God, are always upon it, from the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year. So God is just focused on, he loves this piece of land. Deuteronomy 19, when the Lord your God has cut off the nations, so there is these, the Goyim, the other nations, we call them the Gentiles, it just means other nations, but God is taking the land from them and he's giving it to his people Israel. So it doesn't matter what claim people want to make about this land, God is saying, it's my land. And these people were wicked and evil and I'm taking it from them and I'm giving it to Israel. God is personally giving it to Israel, this land. And then in uh, Deuteronomy 28 now, continuing the story, And it shall come to pass, that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good. So God is now saying, look, there are terms and conditions with this land. You can't just move into the land and think that you're there forever and you, you, you have no responsibility. That there's, there's no requirement, no, there are no conditions to you being in the land. The land is holy. And for you to be in the land, you have to be holy. The same way God ejected Adam and Eve from the land because they were unholy, is the same way, it's the same agreement that he has here with Israel. You will be in the land, I'm a holy God, you must be a holy people upon the holy land. And if you're not going to be holy, then you're going to be kicked out of the land. It says, and it shall come to pass, so if you uh, disobey, that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord, in the same way that he rejoiced over you to do you good, in the same way, the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you. Here are the terms and conditions. If you disobey, then God is going to take pleasure 
in getting rid of you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land. This land, God personally cares for this piece of real estate. And if you are going to corrupt yourself, he will make sure that you're plucked from the land, plucked from off the land. Very, very important where you go to possess it. So I'm giving you this land the same way he said to Adam and Eve. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, earn a living here. I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you all the trees. But in the day you eat of the tree that I forbid, then you will surely die. Well, here he's saying, I'm giving this land to you. But if you don't obey my commandments, if you corrupt yourself, then you'll be plucked from off the land. It's your land. I want to give it to you. But there are conditions. So let's keep that in mind. This is the story flow. Now, uh, we'll just pick up a couple of verses in, in Deuteronomy 30 because Isaiah is going to be calling back to Deuteronomy. Now, it says here, this is Moses writing, and it shall come to pass. Moses is, is dying. The, the, the people of Israel are going into the land. And here's sort of Moses' final words to them. It shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you. So he's given them all the blessings that will come upon them if they obey. And then he's giving them all the curses that will come upon them if they disobey. And then he says, he ends this section by saying, it shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse. Moses could already see, he was a prophet. He could already see they're going to go in the land, they will enjoy the blessings of the land, but they're going to corrupt themselves. And so all the curses that are in the book are going to come upon them. The blessing and the curse which I have set before you, not, not some other curse, not some made-up curse, specific curses that are outlined in the agreement, the terms and conditions of the agreement that he has with Israel. And you shall call them to mind among all the goyim. You're going to be plucked off the land and you're going to be taken captive among all the nations. And then you're going to think and you're going to remember. So you'll call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. So this is these nations are going to rise up. They're going to conquer you. They're going to take you captive. But actually it's God. Moses is saying it's God who is driving you out of the land. And then notice what Moses writes. That after God drives you out of the land, and you shall return unto the Lord your God. So Moses could see they're going to be blessed. They're going to corrupt themselves. They're going to be cursed. And then he could also see they are going to return to the land. Even though they are corrupt, Moses could see they are going to return to the land. So there's some mechanism that Moses understood that the people are going to be made righteous so that they can dwell in the land. The people will be made holy so that they can dwell in the land. And you shall return unto the Lord your God, and you shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So all of those commandments that we see in Exodus uh, 20, that are repeated here in Deuteronomy, uh, they are going to come in the land and they are going to keep those commandments. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. So you're going to go in, you're going to obey, you're going to bless, be blessed, you're then going to corrupt yourself, you're going to be cursed, you're going to learn a very, very painful lesson. God is going to implement a mechanism for you to come back to the land. And when you come back this time, you're going, you and your children, you're going to serve God with your whole heart and with your, all of your soul. You're going to really love him this time. That then the Lord your God will turn your captivity and have compassion on you. 
So the captivity is going to be reversed. These people are going to be taken captive all over the world, and then that captivity is going to be reversed, and God is going to have compassion on you, and He will return and gather you from all the nations. So the, Moses is saying there's going to be this conflict between you and the Goyim, you and all the nations. That's what, that's what the world is coming to, a conflict between the seed of Israel and the non-seed of Israel, the nations. And even though they've just had this exodus coming out of Egypt so that they can go into the promised land, Moses is foretelling that they're going to be scattered all over the earth and there's going to be another exodus. There's going to be another gathering and bringing them into the land again, but this one is going to be far greater than the one from Egypt. In fact, they won't even talk about the one from Egypt, the prophet said. He will return and he will gather you from all the, the nations all these nations that are against Israel, where the Lord your God has scattered you. So notice this, they, they think they're doing it, but it's God who's actually orchestrating it. If any of yours be driven out unto the utmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you. So this, this is a DNA thing. God, God knows who carries the DNA of Israel. And it doesn't matter how far the Goyim, the non-Israelites, take the Israelites, it doesn't matter how far, which corner of the earth they take them to. God knows who they are. And God is going to be faithful to his word. And he's going to search his angels will go through the earth. And they will gather all of those who have the DNA of Israel. And bring them back to the land. And they will have learned a very painful lesson. So the tribe of Israel or the tribes of Israel are going to be in the land. If any of yours, that's the tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel, be driven out to the utmost parts of heaven from there, will the Lord your God gather you? And from there will he fetch you. This is what Christ means in Matthew 24 when he says that the elect will be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Here it is, nothing new. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land. This is very important to God. And if we forget this, then we're not on the same agenda with God. We, we don't have God's view. And if we neglect this, or think that God has neglected it, we're actually calling God a liar. We're questioning the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. If there's one thing that defines God, uh, it's love. And then, if, you know, it's love and faithfulness. It's, it's faithful love. That's what defines God. And the Lord, your God, will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. You corrupt people are going to be punished severely. You're going to be brought to a deep, deep, profound repentance. And then you're going to be put in the land where God wanted you to be in the first place. It's too bad that you have to go through this painful lesson, but so be it. And you shall possess the land. You, the tribes of Israel, shall possess the land. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. So this exodus is going to be a great uh, event. It's the greatest, much far greater than the previous one. And the blessing that these people will enjoy will be even greater than the blessing of their fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So this is a spiritual thing now, that these people will, be, will have the Holy Spirit, and the God will circumcise their heart and the heart of their seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's, it's God's intent to bless these people regardless of, of their corruption, 
God is going to save them. He's going to punish them, then he's going to save them. And the Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies. So Israel will have enemies. Basically, Christ tells us you'll be hated by all nations. So all the Goyim will, will agree to hate Israel, the people, the, the tribes of Israel, specifically Judah. And all the curses that Judah has to, and, and Israel have to suffer, eventually, when God finally acts to redeem these people, he's going to put these curses on the enemies. The very people that were attacking God's people are then going to suffer the consequences for touching God's people. And on them that hate you, which persecuted you. And this is very important. There is going to be, from Moses could see it now, a perpetual hatred. The people of God, the tribes of Israel, will be perpetually hated. That this hatred is not just they're going to go into the land now and they're going to be hated, but Moses is looking well into the future and he's saying this hatred will never go away. That this hatred is perpetual. So right up until the end, when, when God finally acts in the end to redeem his people, this hatred of the goyim, of the, of the surrounding nations, it's there and it's nonstop. And it's going to lead to persecution. But you shall return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you this day. So this is what Moses is seeing. There's a time coming, despite all of the rebellion, there's a time coming in the future when Israel will be put in the land and they will be obedient with their whole heart. Now, that's, so that's Old Testament, that's Torah. But even in the Torah, with all the curses, there's still good news. The curses are never pronounced in isolation. Always, 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 when the prophets come and say, look, this is what's going to happen to you, they also see this time that Moses saw, that, that there's, there is a future. Even though you're going to be punished severely, there's a future. Even, even Ezekiel could see the time when even Israel, who have been divorced and scattered, that even they will be resurrected and put back with Judah. So the pe God is faithful to his people, but they're not faithful to him. And so God has a process to clean them up and to get that rebellious, rebellious heart and stiff neck to sort it out. So that's what Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are all about. Isaiah, this, this chief of the prophets, this head of the prophets, comes along and the northern tribes of Israel are very, very prosperous. They're very, very powerful. They're doing very well. They're enjoying great blessings. And Isaiah comes and says, get ready. You are going to be destroyed. You're going to be scattered according to the covenant. So the Assyrians come in and they wipe out the northern tribes. Then he turns to Judah, the southern tribes, and he says, and, and this is during the, the reign of Assyria, so Judah is terrified of the Assyrians coming in. And, and my Isaiah basically says, oh, don't worry about the Assyrians. There's this small little tribe of people called the Babylonians, and in basically 150 years from now, they're going to be the next superpower. And they're going to crush the Assyrians, and they're the ones that are going to destroy you. And so between the curses upon Israel and the curses upon Judah, this is what Isaiah 1 to 39 is basically about. And we'll go through it in detail because there's other nations that are called out as well. But in a, in a nutshell, uh, 1 to 39, all, everything that we just read in Deuteronomy, Assyria is going to carry it out on, I shouldn't say everything, the curses 
that we read in Deuteronomy, and, and other, we didn't read them all, but those curses, uh, specifically to do with their relationship with the land, Assyria is going to carry it out on the northern tribes, and then this nascent power called Babylon is going to, be, is going to become the next superpower, and it's going to carry out the curses on Judah, the southern tribes. That's 1 to 39. And so 39 here, we'll just read. Behold, the days come that all that is in your house, he's speaking to King Hezekiah, and that which your fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, said the Lord. And of your sons that shall issue from you, which you shall beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So here's this wonderful nation of Israel and the nation of Judah that Isaiah is saying, the curses of Deuteronomy are coming upon you. So that's how we end Isaiah 39 to 40. Uh, thir 1, 1 to 39. And then we come to chapter 40 and suddenly it switches from this uh, focus on judgment and carrying out the curses outlined in the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we read that last week. So suddenly the, it, it shifts and it says, comfort my people. Comfort my people, says your God, because of what Moses foresaw that these people are not written off. They are not going to be destroyed and lost. That God has a commitment to these, he has a covenant commitment to these people. And he is going to make them successful. Despite their failure, despite the tragic consequences that they have to suffer, God is committed to them. And so now through Isaiah, he's saying, you know what? Comfort these people. They're, they're going to be destroyed by, by Babylon. Comfort them. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem, because God has chosen this land and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. So it shows us here exactly what Moses saw, because she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then in Isaiah 40, we read this last week, this perpetual hatred that, that Moses foresaw between the Goyim, the nations, and the people of God. Behold, the, so as much as God, so Moses makes it clear that when these nations come to destroy God's people, it's actually God orchestrating it. That God is the one who's making sure that he fulfills his word. He says, he will, I'll rejoice over you to do this. It means that I'm going to keep my word. I, I will, for good or for, for bad, I'm going to keep exactly what the terms and conditions of the covenant say. So I'm going to use these nations, and the nations are going to come at, at Israel and, and come at Judah very, very powerfully. It's like these people are unstoppable. But now God is telling his people, or telling Isaiah to comfort his people with this message. That the nations are nothing. They're like a drop of a bucket. So you think of just all you think of all the water in the world, and there's just this little drop in a bucket. That's what the nations are to God. So God is now exalting, showing his exaltation. But he's not bragging to say, you'll bow down and worship me, and I'm so great, and if you don't bow down and worship me, I'll burn you in hell forever. He's not psychotic. He's, he, he's saying to, uh, through Isaiah, you need to understand who you're in covenant with. These nations, as powerful as they are, you are in covenant with the Creator. And these powerful nations are nothing. They're counted as the small dust of, a balance, of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles or the coastlands, the, far, the, the, the distant countries, as a very little thing. So to whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, says the Holy One? This is to encourage the people. 
that they're to understand that they, they are in agree they're in covenant agreement with the Holy One of Israel. He's not just boasting to say, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, I'm the greatest. He's saying, do you understand who you're in covenant with? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? So they are discouraged. They're being slaughtered by their enemies. And God is saying, to remember who you're in covenant with. Why are you saying my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God? Have you not known? Haven't you heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint and he's never weary. So everything that's happening, it's not because God is tired or weary. It's because he's orchestrated it, but he hasn't written you off. There is no searching of his understanding. So there's a, there's a depth of wisdom behind all of these activities on the earth that God is working out. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. So this is one of those verses, again, that it's very encouraging, and uh, we'll just sort of quote it out of context. But the context of this verse is to the people of Judah, that when you are being slaughtered, don't give up. Realize that you're, you're getting a spanking, but God is still with you. And God is going to give power to you. Even though you are weak and you have no power, God is going to give you power. And you're going to be able to overcome your enemies. That's the context of this verse. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, again, another verse that we just quote willy-nilly, but in the context it has very specific meaning. They, the people of Judah, that look to God, that are looking into his word, looking into his promises, they, they hear the gospel preached to them, and they believe it. And they're looking and they're waiting for the Lord, expectantly. They're the ones, not, not the rebellious ones, but these ones that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. This is the prophecy, that as weak as they are, and they have nothing in this future period, and, they're be and, and Isaiah is, um, it's dual. He's speaking of the immediate future with the, the Babylonians coming in to destroy them. And then he's going to raise up the Persians to help them. And they're going to be able to renew their strength. But that's actually just laying down the pattern. But Isaiah is actually speaking of the end time. And he's speaking of the time when Christ actually returns. So we have to read these prophecies of Isaiah with this sort of dual lens. There's the near fulfillment, but he's also speaking of the ultimate or the far fulfillment. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. This is the word of God. It, it means there's going to be a supernatural intervention. And they're going to be able to fight their enemies with power. And they shall walk and not faint. So there's the same way when he led them out of uh, the, the first exodus, that their shoes managed to not, not wear out after 40 years. So God is going to supernaturally intervene here. Now we come into Isaiah 41, verse 1. Keep silence before me. So God now is, is speaking. So he, he's encouraged his people. And now he's speaking to the nations. And he's basically saying to them, shut up. I've heard enough. Keep silence before me, O islands. Or, or that actually means coastlands. These are the distant nations that have come and they've... Uh, invaded Israel or, or the people of Judah and taken them captive and now God's saying enough and this is like a courtroom drama 
He's saying, keep silence before me and let the people renew their strength. So he just said he's going to give them their strength. And now he's saying to the, the nations, let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. So God is now calling the nations to judgment. And this is why it's so important that the gospel is preached to all nations. Because it's going to be preached to them as a witness because this is a courtroom drama. So, so that's why the gospel must be preached to all nations because of this courtroom drama. He says, keep silence before me, O, o coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them strength. You stop interfering with them. Let the people come near. Let them come back to Jerusalem and let them speak. Let us, you nations, you powerful nations and Yahweh, let us come near together to judgment. And this is, uh, you know, Psalms, he says the same thing in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. So God is quiet, he hides himself, but he's God. So be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. So the heathen are going to exalt themselves and they're going to exalt their false gods. But God is saying, be still, wait upon me, because I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. These are the words of Yahweh. Verse 2 of Isaiah 41. Who raised up the righteous man from the east. This is, this is what God has done. He's raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. So God is actually speaking here of King Cyrus. And it's not that King Cyrus is righteous. It's that God has raised him up in righteousness from the east. So God has a plan. And, he, so, and this is Isaiah preaching 150 years before the Babylonians rise up and become a world power. And then, so he, Assyria is the, is the superpower. Uh, Isaiah, is saying, uh, Isaiah is saying, don't worry about Assyria. It's going to be the Babylonians that are, going to be, that are going to be the superpower that are going to take you captive and destroy you. And then don't worry about the Babylonians because there's another nation called Persia. They're going to be the superpower and they're going to crush, crush the Babylonians and they're going to allow you to go back to Jerusalem. So he, he's, he's actually, and later on he'll actually call Cyrus by name. And when Cyrus comes on the scene, he's going to be shown in the scriptures that this has, all of this has been predicted of him. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as, the, as driven stubble to his bow. So God is able to orchestrate who, who has what power. And, and which nations become superpowers. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. So, uh, and, and this is basically saying that Cyrus is going to pursue them and, and just nobody's going to be able to stop him. He's going to be able to pass safely. And it says, even by the way which he had not gone with his feet, it's like he can go anywhere he wants. Even if he hadn't tested the way and, and made sure that it was a safe passage, he'll be able to do what he wants. So this is uh, to do with King Cyrus. And uh, a lot of people today are actually saying that they believe that, that Donald Trump is like a Cyrus. And the reason they're saying that is because of the favor that he is showing to the Jews. That there, there's a, there, it's a time of increasing anti-Semitism. And yet this man has been made the most powerful man in the world. And of all the presidents before him, and there were many, 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 uh, before him that kept saying that they will move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and they all lied. They all said they would do it but they didn't do it. And then Donald Trump came along and said he's going to do it and he did it. And so he's, he's somehow giving um, a bit of space 
to the to the Jews so that they can have some time and and uh, hopefully to come to repentance and and the same thing with the Christians he's showing a favorable um, how shall I say showing favor to Christians where the previous administration Christians were being slaughtered they were being tortured and we were, the US was turning a blind eye Whereas now, he's making the effort the to look after these Christians. Andrew and very, Bronson very powerful here, where he accepts prayer from this pastor who was persecuted and, and jailed in Turkey, and now freed, and has it on his mind to pray for the president. So all of this leads some people to be saying, he's like Osiris. And regardless, I think it's important for us as Christians to be very, very careful. I, I hear some brethren the way they talk about this U.S. president, um, it's horrible. Calling him crazy, calling him wicked, just, just saying all kinds of horrible things about him. That is not the Christian way. I think we need to read the book of Jude and see how Christians ought to speak. Even if it's true that's, that uh, Donald Trump is Satan incarnate, which some people believe. Read the book of Jude and, and see how Gabriel spoke, spoke to Satan. So we ought to be very, very careful and very respectful about how we talk about this man, who is the most powerful man on the planet, who has turned a favorable eye to Jerusalem, the land that God loves, that his eye is on it all the time, and is also showing a favorable eye and allowing the name of Christ to be named in the White House. So I think we need to be very, very careful and respectful about that. The other thing that he's doing as well, which is very interesting, is he is um, redefining what it means to be a Jew so that ethnic Jews can be protected from anti-Semitism as well. So in any case, it just shows us here that God has the ability to raise up secular leaders and to use them for his righteous purposes. So whenever people come into power, and we have the U.S. Elect midterm elections coming up very shortly, again, most powerful nation on the planet, God is involved. And we should not be fighting, uh, Americans should not be fighting each other over politics. We should just pray that God's will be done, one way or the other. Because America matters in terms of the Middle East, what happens in the Middle East, and just how the world unfolds. And God is, God is uh, able to orchestrate secular powers, as he did here with Israel. So here, this is speaking of Cyrus, who has wrought, who has done this? Calling the generations, and notice this language here that God wants to emphasize, that he has been calling these generations from the beginning. That's, that's God's message here, that, that he has been doing this from the beginning. Why does that matter? Because that's what's in the Torah. So God, everything that, that Moses wrote about from the beginning, so Moses wrote the Torah, everything that God has been doing is based on that. Who has done this? Calling generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, it's the Lord that's done this. The first and with the last. I'm he. So God wants us to know who he is. This is how he identifies himself. And this is why it's so important that we don't allegorize everything. That we accept that God, God, God is saying, look, the way that you know who I am, and the way that you prove who I am to the nations, is this. Go back to the Torah. And whatever is written in the Torah, whatever I said I'm going to do in the Torah, go to Revelation, and you'll see me doing it there. I'm the first, and I'm the last. Because I'm the first, and I'm the last, everything that I say is going to happen, that's what's going to happen. And that's what we see in Revelation. When we go to from the Torah to Revelation, 
I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I, I think it's important that God wants us to know it. Here in Isaiah, he wants his people to know that he's the first and the last. I'm he, I'm the one. I'm the one who does this. I, I, I call it from the Torah. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, in 1.8, 1.11. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. In 1.17, fear not, I'm the first and the last. And Revelation 21, verse 6, it's done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Nobody else, I'm the one. So all these false gods, God is challenging them by saying, go to the beginning, open up the Torah, and look for the prophecies in the Torah, and I'm the only one, because I'm God, that can do exactly what I say. I can even call a ruler by name and say 150, 160 years from now, a man called Cyrus is going to be a savior of sorts for my people. And that, that whole uh, role that Cyrus plays is a uh, prefiguring of the Messiah. So Cyrus is like a Messiah. But then the, the ultimate fulfillment will be Christ. But God calls it out by name because he's the first and the last. And this is the God we serve. And this is why we must be very specific, very particular about God's word. Because we can prove that our God is God because he's the first and the last. And we can open up the Torah and say, see, that's what God is doing. And we don't have to do it. God does it. He says here, uh, Revelation twenty-two thirteen. again, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. When you hear that so many times, do you get the impression that it might be important to God that his people understand that he's the first and the last? That everything that's happening in the middle is happening exactly as God is orchestrating it. Why? Because he named it from the beginning. I'm the first, he announced it from the beginning, and he's the last, he makes sure that it happens exactly as he said it would happen, because he's God. Back to Isaiah 41. The isles, or again the coastlands, saw this, so this is um, Cyrus, Persia is now rising up. So uh, Isaiah is like a news reporter. It's like it's happening in the future, but Isaiah is reporting it as if it's happening now, breaking news. That when Persia rises up, the coastlands see this, these other powerful nations see it, and they tremble. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor and everyone his brother be of good courage. So now they're trying to encourage one another because... Um, this, this uh, <clears throat> uh, powerful nation, this new superpower, is rising up. And so they helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage, we can do this. We, we, we're okay, we can do this. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smooths with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. So. This kind of sounds like preparation for the battle, and they're, they're, maybe when you saw the hurricane coming in and you see all the preparation for the hurricane, uh, in the same way that the hurricane in the United States uh, and, and the Caribbean, in the same way here, this uh, whirlwind of a superpower is coming on the scene, and so they're all coordinated with each other to try to withstand this power, but God is the one that raises up kings, and God is the one that takes kings down. So it doesn't matter what they do. But you, so that's what the nations are doing, and they're terrified as Persia rises up. But God is now saying, but you, Israel, 
you're my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And this, this um, phrase, my servant, is important because as we move into deeper into Isaiah, we're going to move into the servant songs. And so here, the servant is speaking of the people of Israel. But later, it's going to be speaking of a specific human being who's going to come as a suffering servant. And we have to read this carefully because the, the, the people of God, the Jews, deny Christ by saying that the suffering servant is, it, it's all the Jews. All the Jews together are the suffering servant. But when we read it carefully, that's impossible. So, but here, the servant is Israel. Jacob, whom I have chosen. And again, we have to know that this is God's language. This, this, and this is why people just hate the people of God. Because God has chosen them of all the people of the earth, Amos says. You only have I known, the family of Israel. So God, God has chosen these people to be his servant and to lead the rest of the world to him. And he's not going to repent of this. This, this is his decision. Abraham was his friend, and these are the descendants of Abraham, and God is committed to them. And so that's why David says that the nation whose God is the Lord, they're blessed and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And so here Jacob again is the chosen. So too bad everybody else just has to accept that God has chosen a people for his peculiar treasure. It's a very peculiar treasure. It's a, it's an, it's a peculiar people, a nation of kings and priests. He says, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the chief men thereof, and said unto you, You are my servant. I have chosen you, and not cast you away. So again, this replacement theology is very dangerous, because we, when we say, Oh, God is done with the people of His people, and now it's all Christians everywhere. They're the people of God. That's what the Greek philosophers brought through Philo to allegorize everything. When we do that, we are calling God a liar. God himself has said that he has chosen these people. They are his servants. He's chosen them. And notice this, I have not cast you away. And we saw that in Deuteronomy. Moses saw that. He said, you're going to have the blessing. Then the curse is going to come upon you. You're going to be scattered all over the earth. But then God is going to bring you back. You're going you're to repent. He's going to put his spirit in you. You're going to love him with your whole heart. And he has not cast you away. And this is why Christ is saying, don't be deceived in Matthew 24. Don't go into the desert thinking I'm there. I'm not coming to desert people. I'm coming to my people. In fact, when I come, I'm going to gather my people from the ends of the earth because I have not cast them away. And here we go, Matthew 24. Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. The deception of the devil has to do with deceiving people about who God has chosen so that these nations rise up and destroy, because they're deceived, they destroy the people whom God has chosen. And God is saying, don't worry, comfort my people. I have not cast them away. Preach good news to my people. I'm going to gather them. So he says, so regarding his coming in the end of the world, he says, and we have to read Matthew 23 and, and all the curses upon Jerusalem and how he wants to gather them, but he ends the chapter by saying, you will be begging for me to return. So they will come to repentance, and they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we see that in Revelation 1, I believe it's verse 7. And so he says, 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Beware that nobody deceives you, because the nations are going to be deceived to destroy Jerusalem. But don't you be deceived, and don't think that I've cast my people away. I've not cast them away, so don't be deceived. So he says here, Matthew 24, verse 22, Except those days, these, these days ahead of us, should be shortened, there would be no flesh saved. And he's speaking specifically of the promised land and the people of God in that land and how all nations are going to surround them to destroy them. And if those days were not shortened, they would be successful. Just, just as in the Tower of uh, Babel with Nimrod, that God stopped it. Otherwise, he would have been successful in wiping out God's people. And now it comes back to full fruition, to fulfillment, and they want to destroy God's people. But notice this. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And who are the elect? The elect are Israel. Sorry. The elect are the people that God has elected. The, pe the people, he says, Israel, you're my servant whom I have chosen. And, and Moses tells us that they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be scattered. And then they're going to be gathered. So it's because of their sake that God is going to shorten these days. Now, how do we know that they are the elect? Well, we'll see that in a bit. So he says here, fulfilling the Torah, what Moses wrote, He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Exactly what Moses wrote. As he spoke to the people and said, I'm dying, you're going into the promised land, you're going to be blessed, then you're going to corrupt yourself, then you're going to be cursed and scattered, and then God is going to gather you from one end of the earth, even no matter how far driven you are, God will gather you from that place and bring you back into the land. So he will gather together his elect from one end of the heaven to the others. Now here we see Isaiah is telling us, and we'll get to this when we get to chapter 45, for Jacob, my servant's sake, says God, and Israel, my elect. And Israel doesn't mean the land of Israel today. That's, they, they've named that land Israel, but Israel is, are the, is Jacob, all the tribes of Israel. And we can look around and see who are the Judeo-Christian nations in the world today. Clearly, they have the heritage of Israel. And then you have other nations that have all kinds of pagan practices that have no heritage in Israel. So there's Judah and there's Israel. And God says that all 12 tribes are his elect. And he's going to put them back in the land. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called you by name. I have surnamed you. So the people of God have Israel. They're the people, they're, they're the prevailed with God. They're the people of God, though you have not known me. So Christ goes on to say that all of this is the beginning of sorrows. There's a perpetual hatred. Then at that time shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all the goyim. The very thing that Moses wrote, there's going to be this perpetual hatred, this, this ongoing conflict between the people whom God has chosen and all the other nations that God has not chosen. There's going to be envy and jealousy and rage. And this is what, Mo this is what Christ is saying, exactly what Moses wrote. Because God is the first and the last. Exactly what he said in the beginning, exactly what, from the beginning what he said is going to happen in the end, that's what happens at the end. And nobody else can do this. And notice this. You'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
And that name is the Holy One of Israel. That it's the name Israel that they hate. And God says, that's my name. That's my name. My name is on Israel. So here, Isaiah 47, and we'll get there eventually. As for our Redeemer, our Redeemer, so, so our Redeemer, kinsman Redeemer, we'll talk about that in a bit. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is telling us, Isaiah interacted with him, and he's saying he's the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. And over 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 again, Isaiah just calls him the Holy One of Israel. He is the God of Jacob forever, and he is the Holy One of Israel. And it's because of this name, the Holy One of Israel, that the nations are just with satanic rage, and they're against the people who call this name. And this gospel, the gospel that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, the, the, the gospel that Moses preached to the, to the fathers, which in Hebrews, Paul says, they had the gospel preached to them, even as we had the pre gospel preached to us. But with them, it wasn't mixed with faith. Same gospel, same message, just they didn't believe it. We have to believe it. And so Christ is preaching, it's not a new gospel. And Isaiah is preaching the same gospel. In fact, Christ is quoting Isaiah and the good news in Isaiah to show that it's the same gospel. It's the same good news. This good news of the kingdom, the kingdom being restored to Israel, that's the good news. It's the good news that Moses said, you're going to be, you're going to the land, you're going to corrupt yourself, you're going to be scattered and, and plucked out of the land, and then God is going to gather you and put you back in the land. And this gospel, this good news, that God's elect are going to be gathered and put back in the land. This is what's going to be preached in all the world for a witness, legal term, because God is calling the nations to court. So someone has to tell them so they can't say, we didn't know. It'll be preached for a witness unto all nations, all the goyim that hate Israel. They're going to be told, the land is Israel's. God gave the land to Israel. You don't belong there. And right now, they don't either. Until they repent and accept Christ, then God is going to put them in that land. In all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. God is, I'm the first and the last. So everything's going to happen exactly as God says, and not before. Nothing, the end cannot come until absolutely everything God says is going to happen, happens. Because God is in control. And that's why we see here in, in Acts 1, when, when the Lord himself was teaching the apostles, they wanted to know, is this when you restore the kingdom to Israel? It's all about the fact that God is restoring the kingdom to his people. Uh, so this is why, as I, last week we saw, Zion that brings good news, that brings the gospel, gets you up into the high mountain. And again, Moses said, you're going into a land with, with mountains. Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that brings the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength. Shout! Don't be afraid of the Goyim. This, these, these people that hate the name of Israel. Don't be afraid of them. Shout the gospel. Say to the city, and, and comfort you, my people. Say to the cities of Judah, it's your God that's coming. Wait for him. He will give strength to the faint. He'll renew those who are failing. If you wait on him. If you look for him. So in the future, these cities of Judah have to have the gospel preached to them so that they can come to re the repentance that Moses spoke of. They need to see that God is coming to act on their behalf. 
Behold your God, not, not the Goyim God, the God of Judah, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And that's why here we see Isaiah again saying, how beautiful upon the mountains. It's a specific plot of land that has mountains and valleys. And this servant is going to come and walk up and down on this specific plot of land that God loves. So God himself is going to come and walk on the land that he loves. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings the gospel to his people. He didn't go all over the world saying, good news, good news. He came to his people saying, good news. That publishes peace because there's so much warfare on this land. That brings God, the gospel, good news of good. That publishes salvation. That says unto Zion, he comes and he says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. So there's a controversy about which God reigns. And he says, your God reigns. I'm the first and the last. And no, nobody can frustrate what I'm doing. Now, I want to just read a bit from Ezekiel. And this is going to make it really, really clear. Because all the prophets are seeing the same thing. So Isaiah is looking into the future and he's seeing what Moses saw. And Ezekiel now looks into the future and he sees the same thing. He says this. And I say unto it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir. This is Edom. Edom is right beside Judah. It's uh, today what we would call Jordan. So these are Muslim people. This is what Ezekiel is seeing in the end time. O Mount Seir, I am against you. So there's a controversy. And they're against Judah, and Judah's against them. And there's this controversy as to who, whose God is real. And God of the universe says to Edom, I'm against you. And I will stretch out my hand against you. And I will make you most desolate. And we see that again in Malachi 1. God is going to bring down the people of Edom. I will lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate. You tried to make my people desolate, I'm going to make you desolate. And you, sh you shall know that I am the Lord, not your false God. I am the Lord, the God of Israel. Because you have had a perpetual hatred. So this hatred goes all the way back to the Torah. What Moses spoke about when they were going into the land. This hatred has always been there. And now you just have different excuses as to why you should hate these people, but the hatred has been, it's perpetual. It's, it's, it's almost like it's genetically encoded. Because you have had a perpetual hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword. So this is what you've done, and God is calling it. God is saying, this is what's going to happen in the end time. You're, you're going in and you're shedding the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Also, you son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, you mountains of Israel, so how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that, that preaches this gospel, and says unto the people, behold your God. Now you son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Aha! Even the ancient high places are ours in possession. So these people are going to be successful in convincing the whole world that these places belong to them. 
and the God of the universe, the beginning and the end, is now saying to Israel, the land of Israel, that the enemy, God sees them as the enemy, so it's not that the people, but this, this doctrine that's in their head, that's this, Satan deceives all the world, the whole world, and so they now become the enemy of God, and they're like joyful that they've taken possession of the land. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they have made you desolate, so these people have made the land, the people of the land desolate, and swallowed you up on every side, Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that you might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen. So they have a doctrine that says that they can do this and take the people captive, and you are taken up in the lips of talkers, and are an infamy of the people. So the people of God are just, there's a lot of talk about how righteous they are, and how the people of God are an infamy, a disgrace. Therefore, you mountains of Israel, God is prophesying to the mountains of Israel, which Moses said, this is a beautiful land with mountains. Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, different words, so this is the same word that Moses saw, to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes, and to the cities that are forsaken. So there's just wholesale slaughter, which became a prey and derision of the residue of the heathen. God refers to them as heathen because they are not part of the covenant people that are round about. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen. God is furious for what they have done to his people. And, and it, it stirs him to, to great wrath upon this people for, for the abuse that they are meeting out on, on his covenant people. Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen, against all Idumea. This is Esau. This is Edom. This is, this is uh, the Jordanian people and the, the, the people that are right next to the land. That there's a perpetual hatred between these people and the people in the land. So he's God is speaking against all Idumea, which have appointed my land into their possession. God is saying, this is my land. And they're coming in and saying it's their land. And everybody agrees that this land, in fact, now uh, the people of Judah are referred to as occupiers. They're occupying the land that God is saying, I'm going to give this land to my people. It's my land. But now these people are coming in and saying, no, it's theirs. And they're erasing all the history. They're trying to destroy all the archaeology and say that uh, the people of God, the, 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 the Jews, the genetic people from, descended from Israel, have no right to the land. They have no claim to the land. And God is saying that I'm, he's against these people that have taken his land and said it's theirs with the joy of all their heart. They just love this. It's just, they're just in ecstasy that they have taken possession of the land with despiteful minds to cast it out for a prey. They really don't want the land. They just don't want the Jews to have it. They have their own land. They have their own holy land, but then they want this too. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains and to the hills. This is God is speaking about the land. He's very specific. It's land with mountains. And it's a very specific piece of real estate that he personally cares for and considers it his land. And he's promised that particular real estate to Abraham and his seed forever through the covenant people. To the hills, to the rivers and the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy 
and in my fury, because you have borne the shame of the heathen. God is furious. And if we love Muslims, we need to get them to read the Bible. This book of Isaiah is, is powerful. The book of Ezekiel is powerful. Jeremiah, Moses, all of these books, it all ties together and it tells the same story. God is furious because his people have borne the shame of the heathen. That these people have an ideology that says that the people of God are nothing. That they're filth. And God is furious about this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have lifted up my hand. Surely the heathen that are around you. So we need to know where the land is that God cares for personally, that God has promised that he's going to return to. And then we need to look at who's around that land. And what kind of people are these? And what's their ideology? Surely the, the heathen that are around you, they shall bear their shame. So there's a specific plot of land that is mountainous, that has valleys, that God cares for, that his eye is upon all the time, that he's going to return to, that he want, he's promised to Abraham and his seed forever. And there's people around that land that are saying it's theirs. And that have an ideology that puts God's people to shame and disgraces them. And God is furious. And he says that the shame that they're putting on his people, he's going to put it on them. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. So he's saying, I'm going to put my people in this land, and the land is going to be prosperous and it's going to feed the people. For behold, I am for you. I am against all Idumea. I am against Edom. I'm going to make Edom desolate, but I am for you. Same thing Isaiah is saying. And I will turn unto you, and you shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you. So God is saying to the land, you will be a prosperous land. And as much as there's all this destruction and shame on the land, I'm going to multiply men upon you. All the house of Israel. God is going to put these people in the land. Even all of it. Even all of it. And the cities shall be inhabited and the waste shall be built. So all of this destruction is going to be rebuilt. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit, much to Idumea's uh, chagrin. That these people that surround it want to completely destroy it and devastate, devastate it and make it desolate. And God is saying, I'm the first and the last. I get the last word. I'm going to make this land prosperous. And I will set her, settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginning. And you, sh you shall know that I am the Lord. So they're going to be searching the scriptures and saying, Wow, this God does exactly what he says he's going to do. Yes, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel. And they shall possess you. My people Israel, they're the ones that will possess you. And you shall be their inheritance, not anybody else's. And you shall no more henceforth bereave them of men. So no more killing in this land. Thus says the Lord God, Because they say unto you, Your land devours up men, and have bereaved your nations, therefore you shall devour men no more, neither bereave you nations any more. So there will be no more war here. Jerusalem will be a place of peace, says the Lord. Neither will I cause men to hear in you the shame of the heathen. So there is a shame of the heathen 
that is taking place right in the land of Jerusalem. This, this land that God has chosen, Idumea have come in and they're blasting their glory in this land and God is saying, you know what? I'm going to put a shame, to, I'm going to put a stop to that. That's not going to happen anymore. No more are, are people going to see and, and do or hear that in Jerusalem. It's going to happen, but I'm going to put a stop to it. Neither will I cause men to hear in you the shame of the heathen anymore. Neither shall you bear the reproach of the people anymore. Neither shall you cause your nations to fall anymore, says the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Therefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land. Exactly what Moses warned them about. That if, if you disobey the commandments and you start murdering, and lying and stealing and breaking the commandments, then you will be plucked from the land. And so this is what God says he did. And for their idols when they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen. So the heathen think that they're doing it, but it's actually God who's allowing it. And they were dispersed through the countries. And that's why God is going to gather them back. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen where they went, they profaned my holy name. So God wants to be known as the Holy One of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. But they forsook God and they profaned his holy name. And so the heathen were able to dismiss God when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. So <laughs> we were successful getting them out of the land and yet they claimed to be the people of God. But I had pity for my holy name, the Holy One of Israel, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen where they went. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, and that's why, uh, this is exactly why Christ says, he says, I had pity for my holy name. And that's why he says, you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Because somebody gets it. And they preach the good news that God is acting for his holy name. That's why he's going to act. And we just preach it. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, where they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. He's the Holy One of Israel, is what Isaiah reveals. So because of that name, the Holy One of Israel, there has to be an Israel. Because he's the Holy One of Israel, there has to be an Israel. So he's going to do this for his holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen where you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen. They had the upper hand. Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest. Allah, Allahu Akbar means Allah is greater. So Allah is greater than your Yahweh. And so God's name is profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am God. So that all that nonsense is going to stop. And Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, will be established in the land, in the whole earth. And they will, so Israel will know that God is God, and the heathen will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And Isaiah is going to talk about this in detail. But that's what God is going to do. There's going to be a set of human beings that are genetically descended from Jacob, and God is going to be glorified 
in them in front of the heathen. The heathen are actually going to bow down and acknowledge that these are the people of God. For I will take you from among the heathen. That's why God says, for the elect's sake, these days will be shortened. Because he's the first and the last. And he's going to do everything that he said at the beginning. He's going to fulfill it at the end. So he's going to take the elect from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries. This is the second exodus. And I will bring you into your own land. These are human beings that are going to be in the land. <laughs> this is, you know, Christians, we understand that we are going to be born into the God family and we are going to have oversight over this operation as, as uh, uh, first fruits that are born early into the family of God to facilitate this process that God has set about to save all of mankind and allow enable all of mankind ultimately, if they repent, to be born into the kingdom of God as part of the fall harvest. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. Exactly what, this is the fulfillment of what Moses said. You're going to go into the land, you'll be blessed in there, when you do everything that, you, that God tells, tells you to do, and we see that with David set up, and then Solomon, the first part of Solomon's reign, and then you're going to stray, and you're going to corrupt yourselves. And then we see Isaiah coming on and saying, okay, Assyria is going to wipe out the northern tribes, Babylon's going to wipe out the southern tribes, and then this is going to continue right up to the end time. So, so Isaiah is laying down a pattern, an early pattern, that's going to be repeated in the end time. And he's going, to, he's going to get into detail and tell us exactly what's going to happen in the end time. But this is exactly what Moses foresaw. And so now Ezekiel is saying the same thing, what Moses said from Deuteronomy, that you will be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart, because this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, you're going to serve God with your whole heart. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. You're going you're gonna to have a heart for God. Instead of having this hardness and, and rebelliousness, God is going to solve that problem with his people. And they're going to have a heart for God so that they can be a nation of, of kings and priests, physically, on the earth. And I will put my spirit within you. So these are going to be human beings that are going to have the spirit of God put in them and cause you to walk in my statutes. Exactly what Moses said. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. So we have to go back and say, what land did God give to the fathers? What land is very mountainous that God himself is going to come and walk up and down on those mountains and preach, the, proclaim the good news that these mountains are the mountains that are going to have good news despite all the warfare that's going to be upon them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. That's the land. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Exactly what Moses said. We'll just wrap up with uh, 41. Let me see if I can... He says, fear, fear you not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. So there's going to be reason to be dismayed. There's going to be reason to be discouraged for these people. I will strengthen you. That's what he said at the end of chapter 40, that they're faint, but he's going to give them strength. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness because of his covenant. Behold, all they, that's the heathen, that were incensed against you, they shall be ashamed and confused. So that's why if you have Muslim friends, you, you need to get them to read the scriptures and search these scriptures and compare, compare them 
Because God is saying, I'm God. And the way that you can know I'm God is I do exactly what I say. I do it. You just have to, the, the people of God just have to wait upon the Lord. And he will do it. Muslims have to do the killing for Allah. Allah doesn't do anything. Allah just makes these pronouncements that he's going to gonna, gonna burn them in hellfire forever and ever if they don't do what he says. And so now they have to go and blow themselves up and do all this work. God says, I, I do this. Wait upon me. I'm going to do these things. Because God is real. Behold, all they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confused. They will be as nothing. And they that strive with you shall perish. So these people in this land are going to have people that are striving with them, and those people that are striving with them will perish. And in that day will I make Jerusalem... So this is, a, sorry, Zechariah is saying how this is going to be fulfilled. How, how is it that these people are going to have power and, and get those people, to the, the nations, to be confused? In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. So all these goyim, these Gentile nations, Jerusalem is going to be a... Don't, don't mess with Jerusalem. But they are going to, Satan is going to stir them up. The focus is going to be Jerusalem. For some reason, God loves this land, so Satan has the focus on this land. There's the whole earth, but they have, it has to be Jerusalem. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So even though all these nations are gathered against Jerusalem, Isaiah says they're all like a drop, a drop in the bucket. They're nothing to God. You shall seek them, and shall not find them, even them that contended with you. These powerful nations, you won't find them. They that war against you shall be as nothing, and as a thing of nothing. So, again, we see Christ telling us that Jerusalem is going to be surrounded with armies. And now Zechariah tells us, or so Isaiah is telling us, that you're going to, all these people that were powerful warriors to destroy you, no, they'll be nothing. So they will seem like they're going to be successful, then God's going to stop it. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand, saying unto you, Fear not, I will help you. He says here, Fear not, you worm, Jacob. So God refers to Jacob, or Israel, as a worm. Look how helpless a worm is. What defense mechanism does a worm have? But he says, Don't be afraid. Those that wait upon the Lord... He's going to give them supernatural strength. Fear not, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For his name's sake, he's going to act, and he's the kinsman redeemer. So he's, 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 he's going to be related to them as this kinsman redeemer. He's the one that's going to redeem them. Behold, I will make you a new sharp threshing, threshing instrument having teeth. And you shall thresh the mountains and beat them small. So again, it's this land that, that is mountainous that they're going to be given this supernatural strength to just be like this sharp threshing instrument and shall make the hills of, as chaff. And so again, Zechariah tells us that in this day, Judah is going to be like a, an oven of fire among wood. So all these powerful nations, God is going to give Judah supernatural strength and they're just going to burn up like wood. You won't even know what happened to them. And they shall devour all the people round about. So all these people that come and surround Jerusalem and burden themselves with Jerusalem, God is going to destroy them. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Back to uh, Isaiah 41. You shall fan them, that's the, the, the goyim, the, the nations, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. 
and you shall rejoice in the Lord, and shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue fails for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Even though to God, it, Judah, Israel is, the, is a worm. But God is going to stand for Judah. God is going to, and for Israel. God is going to do exactly what from the beginning, what he said to what, what Moses prophesied. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Let us not engage in replacement theology. Because then we're calling God a liar. God has not cast away his people. He will not forsake them. He's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. I will open the rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God is going to personally care for... He says, I care for this land. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shitta tree, the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. This is a plot of land that God personally cares for. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm personally going to landscape this. That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. Everybody's going to realize, wow, God has done this. And the Holy One of Israel has created it. That's who we're dealing with here. The Holy One of Israel. Because he's the Holy One of Israel, there has to be an Israel. So that he can be the Holy One of Israel. So now he gets into this uh, argument. This is the court case that he has with the nations. And he says, produce your cause. You say your God is so wonderful? Produce your cause, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Let's hear it, says the king of Jacob. I'm the king of Jacob. Let's hear your arguments. And so this is what uh, David says. Why do the heathen rage? It's, it's, it's vain. Why, why do they set themselves and take counsel together? It's nonsense. God is going to laugh at them, David says. That uh, he sits in the heavens and laughs. Because he's I, the, the first and the last. He says, okay, let them bring forth. Let's, let's hear your arguments. And show us what... Sh this, this is why we can't engage in replacement theology. Because God is, is banking his argument on the fact that what he said from the beginning, he will fulfill in the end. So if we discard the beginning, if we say, oh, what Moses prophesied doesn't matter, then we've, we've destroyed God's very argument to the heathen. Come with your Quran and tell us in the Quran what's going to happen in the future. And God, the God of Israel says, this is what I'm doing. He says, let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Tell us, give, give us your prophecy. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them. This, this is how God is considering. This is God's argument. Come with your crystal ball. Tell us what you wrote thousands of years ago and tell us what's going to happen in the future. Because if you're God, you should be able to do that. You shouldn't have to abrogate and keep changing your mind. God doesn't change his mind. He does what he says. Let them show the former things what they'll be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare unto us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. So God is mocking these false gods. Bring your scriptures. Show us anciently what you predicted would happen in the future, and then let us watch and see, and we'll consider this, because this is what God is doing, that he gives in detail what's going to happen, and then it happens exactly as he says. Let's behold it together. Behold, you are of nothing, 
and your work is nothing. An abomination is he that chooses you. So we have a choice to make. Do we go this way or do we go that way? And you know what? God is saying, look to prophecy. Look to the ancient scriptures. Unfold the ancient scriptures. See what they say. And use that as your confidence in making the right choice. Don't choose people who have no power to bring to pass what it is they say they will do. He says, I have raised up one from the north, and now he's speaking specifically of Cyrus, and, and it ultimately it's going to be Christ that fulfills this. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. This is God from the beginning saying, this is what's going to happen. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the, as the potter treads the clay. So Isaiah is predicting that you know, 150 years later, this is what's going to happen. With Bob, with, between Babylon and Persia, even though Assyria is the superpower at the time he's writing. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know? Who, let's go back to the Torah, see what God declared, and thousands of years later, that's exactly what's happening. Who else has done this? Who has declared from the beginning that we may know? And before time, that we may say, he is righteous. Yeah, there is none that shows. There is none that declares, yes, there is none that hears your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that brings good tidings. And so I think I will, I've, I've quoted, um, I've quoted uh, Matthew. I talked about the kinsman redeemer. I just want to finish Isaiah 41. He says, um, verse 29, Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. So, so God is saying to Judah and to Israel, don't be terrified of these people. I'm the one that raises them up, allows them to come in and do what they do. But when, they, when they're abusive, I'm, I'm going to punish them for their evil. So you're a worm. You don't have any defenses against these people. But I'm going to act on your behalf. That's how, that's how we'll know who is God. He says, behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. And then next week now, we'll, God willing, we'll get into uh, chapter 42, where he introduces his servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So this is the comfort that God is bringing to his people. And that was uh, Isaiah 41, a little bit of a, a longer uh, chapter. But it's just very, very important, and also we wanted to tie in Ezekiel, that all these prophets are seeing the same thing. It's what Moses declared from the beginning. So we go all the way back to the Torah, and exactly what God said is going to happen, that's what happens. Why? Because he's Alpha and Omega, and there's no God like him. What a God we serve. Jesus Christ is God. He came personally with this message of good news. Let us preach the gospel that Christ preached.